0: This free podcast is brought to you by The Weekly Standard, the magazine that articulates conservative principles, advances conservative ideas, and challenges the conventional wisdom. Act now and you'll receive 30 issues of The Weekly Standard magazine plus Bill Kristol's weekly emailed newsletter. This limited offer is yours for only $30, but only if you act now by clicking the link below. Hello, this is Philip Terzian, literary editor of The Weekly Standard for our weekly podcast about the Books and Arts section for the March 10th issue of the Weekly Standard. I have was admonished this past week by my uh, producer that I droned on at inordinate length last week, so I'll try to keep it a little shorter and concise this time. We have, as usual, and I pray, as uh, wide a variety of subject matter as readers would like, and our first piece is an essay by the uh, distinguished uh, historian Elliot, military historian Elliot Cohen, um, a review of the memoir of, of former Defense Secretary Robert Gates. The review is entitled Man at War A Defense Chief Straddles Two Worlds. And when I asked Professor Cohen to review the book, I told him that I was far less interested in the Gossip about what Joe Biden said to Hillary Clinton uh, in the corridor than in really the the length and breadth of Gates's service as Defense Secretary under, uh, of course, under George W. Bush and Barack Obama, and uh, it, it's an interesting book because obviously he had his uh, one foot in. Uh, One administration and the other in the second administration, and they were both very different but served by the same man. And the entire experience, both of serving the two and of course being Secretary of Defense in time of war, takes an inevitable uh, psychic toll as well as uh, uh, some interest in the arguments that go back and forth about uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. All in all, uh, an interesting book, but. A very interesting review. I'm very pleased to have it and I think certainly TWS readers will will appreciate it as well. On a on a somewhat lighter note um, is a review by uh, Thomas Swick, who's one of America's better-known travel writers, of a wonderful (laughs) book called Fringe Florida Travels Among Mudboggers, Furries, UFOlogists, nudists, and other lovers of unconventional lifestyles. We tend to think of California as the land of fruits and nuts, and I say that apologetically, having once lived in California myself. I know it isn't really true, but that's the reputation. But actually, Florida, the Sunshine State, uh, to some degree gives California a run for its money in that department. And the author of the book, Lynn Waddell, um, uh, paints a series of very amusing vignettes about uh, some of the people who are attracted to the uh, the atmosphere in Florida, and I asked, I asked Thomas Swick, who has lived in Florida for the past quarter century, and I think knows the state pretty well, to give us a, a little tour of, of what she's talking about, and I think he does it very well. Jay Cost, who writes frequently for the Weekly Standard on politics and the history of politics and the historical background to current politics has done a very good and a kind of tart little piece about a book that has been produced by No Labels, which is the uh, lobbying organization, if you want to call it that, of people who consider themselves somewhere in the political middle, Uh, some liberal Republicans, some conservative Democrats who think one of the problems of our time is that uh, we label one another politically and refuse to speak to the other side, and that's why there's gridlock and uh, mutual hostility. And <clears throat> Jay Cost examines this in, in in some amusing details, but I think he makes the, the basic important point that while the Andrea Mitchells and Cokie Robertses of the Washington Press Corps may lament the... Um, uh, partisan warfare that goes on in our political capital um, and yearn for compromise, the voters just don't seem to go along with it. Uh, they keep they keep electing the people they keep electing. And the opposition in Congress, whether Democratic or Republican, uh, perhaps rightfully considers its responsibility to oppose. And so um, what some people regard as partisan gridlock. Um, I think Jay Cost tends to think of as what the founders regarded as the balance of powers and the fact that uh, the legislative branch is a co-equal partner with the executive and the judicial branches of government and that, in fact, what's going on in Washington is not only what should be going on but is what the founders had in mind when they designed our Constitution. Uh, There's a... um, Very charming piece um, by a professor uh, in, of all places, the American University of Beirut. But he attended, uh, named Paul de but he recently attended a performance in New York at the Metropolitan Opera of Prince Igor, the opera by Alexander Borodin, the 19th century Russian composer. And it's the first time that Prince Igor has been produced in the Met Uh, since 1917 it's an interesting year since it's a russian opera but it's a quite a lavish production and uh what paul de quino quino notices is that it's a production that has whether inadvertently or not it has a certain amount of resonance with contemporary russia it's a it's obviously a a fable about the Russia of the 19th century, but there are an awful lot of interesting, uh, sometimes amusing, sometimes not so amusing parallels with the Russia of President Putin. And I don't know if we know whether that was the the intent of the director and and cast, most of whom incidentally are Russian. Um, but it's it sounds like a great production. But it's a fascinating essay about the the opera, which I only know from. Uh, musical excerpts and hadn't really known very much about the historic background too. Two other pieces in the section one is an essay by the inimitable Joe Queen <laughs> which uh, can only be explained and I should explain that as with all such pieces by Joe Queenan, uh, the details are entirely invented but what he's talking about is some interesting um, uh, signals that have been picked up from deep space that um, uh, seem to be uh, interrogations, question and answer periods, and they have now been translated. And what he noticed was that the the questions all seemed to be very enthusiastic. Uh, how do you feel? You must be uh, feeling pretty good. That was just great. Uh, But the answers are all very uh, noncommittal, monosyllabic, almost slightly resentful and bored. And there's been the 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 texts have been subject to some uh, analysis, and they've decided and concluded that what they have found actually are uh, sports interviews that have been floating around in deep space from we don't know where, we don't know when. But anyone who uh, just recently experienced the um, after-event interviews in the Sochi Olympics, or, or in fact, ever watches a sports interview on television, whether football, baseball, basketball, or any sport, will appreciate the uh, choreography of those interviews that Joe Queenan so nicely describes and lampoons. Our movie review this week by John Podhoritz is of the Monuments Men, the George Clooney movie about the U.S. Army officers who were charged by General Eisenhower with trying to save the great art of Europe uh, from uh, either the depredations of the Nazis or destruction uh, in the course of the warfare. Uh, It was a two-pronged problem. The Nazis, the Germans, uh, when they conquered cities or confiscated property, they they took the fine art that they found and just looted it and either distributed it among themselves or hid it in places to await the post-war era when they would all be displayed in some grand, uh, fuhrer museum in, in Hitler's hometown or whatever, uh, plans they had for it. There was that problem. Plus, the problem of obviously any time there's warfare and bombardment and so on, and artillery fire and whatnot, um, beautiful architecture, great works of art, libraries, and other things are vulnerable, as we always learn in every war. And uh, General Eisenhower um, put out a directive very early in in the European phase of the war that not only were we to make every effort to avoid uh, harm but he actually well he didn't but the army he commissioned the army to find a kind of interesting assortment of art historians and museum curators and other people put them in uniform and sent them over to Europe to uh, to ensure that that happened and it and it seemed to have done The, the movie is based on a book I think of the same name which we reviewed a couple of months ago the Monuments Men but this is now a film version. Unfortunately, John doesn't think much of the of the George Clooney movie. He thinks it's a great it's a great idea for a film and it has all the ingredients of a of a of a great war movie, but it just isn't executed all that well and it's not terribly engaging. He has a he has a nice line. He says all the elements of a classic war picture are here. Unlikely military men, unusual mission the inherent conflict between doing what is necessary to win a just war and preserving preserving precious and delicate goods. But the Monument Men's is, is a total stiff, one of the more unconvincing depictions of war and its consequences ever made. So, as always, uh, John has sat through the 90-plus minutes of the Monuments Men so that you don't have to. And on, on that slightly downbeat note, I will take my leave i hope under the uh uh under the limit that my uh, my friendly and amiable producer has uh, given me but i hope you will enjoy this month's this week's section i think you will and i look forward very much to talking to you next week